it doesn't it doesn't take a lot for the body to kind of get into that relaxed state, right? It's five minutes. Five, 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 and that's eleven, eleven. Just everything's working out the way it's supposed to. I had this all planned. I, I want to touch on that a, a little bit, which is what we just did, um, only because so. So let me bring this back. So when I was talking to Sarah, as you know, that, you know, with um, AV, some I, I don't, didn't share with you. But one of the things that, so Sarah asked me, because I wrote on my application, the different types of meditation that I do. Uh, and so, you know, some of them, some of the meditations I do is with the frequency, you know, the, the that kind of thing. Uh, the other one is just like the mantra ones that just, you know, repeated. And then uh, silent ones. That you know, it's uh, and I I'm, I I I haven't done a lot of silent ones, but then so now I'm starting to do silent ones, and, and I'm being more consistent with the silent ones. But when I was speaking um, to Sarah, you know, we started talking about the silent meditations because I know she, you know she she's a big fan of that. She doesn't really like, or not want to say she doesn't like, but you know she's more into not having music because she feels it kind of distracts you kind of deal. But she's she's okay with it. One one of the things, and were you aware that she's not a fan of guided meditations, which was kind of weird for her to say, because I'm not really a fan of guided meditations either. It's not that I'm not not I'm not a fan of it. Uh, for me, I would just rather kind of just go out on my own. So, but we started talking about silent meditations, and one of the things that I found fascinating, so I started explaining it to her, was that right, and basically, silent is more like listening meditation. Really, it's really what it is. But, you know, it's no music. It's just like this, just like kind of what we were just doing just now. But interestingly enough, what I was sharing with her was how when I was doing this silent meditation, I was upstairs, I was sitting, I do this in the morning, I was just sitting up, and I almost, like, I wasn't asleep, but I wasn't, like, fully up, but I wasn't, like, I wasn't asleep where I was just, boom, I wasn't falling over. It was very weird because i don't i haven't meditated in that way where it was almost as if i was aware that i was meditating but at the same time this is perhaps the only time and this is, i'm explaining this to her is the only time that i almost felt like there were no thoughts which kind of goes you know meditation is not about getting rid of all your thoughts it's not really about that however I was, when you're in that mind state or mental state between kind of like sleep and not sleep where, you know, but again, you're not laying down where I was telling her, it's like, I wasn't having thoughts, but then an image would appear and then the image would appear like a TV image and then the TV would be shut off. And then the gap between another image, I can sense that it was a very wide gap and, and it wasn't. So when another image would come up, it wasn't a thought, it was another image. And so what's the difference between a thought and an image? Where a thought, it's almost like you're hearing it, but I wasn't hearing anything. I was just seeing something. Like one of the weird ones that really stood out was the fact that I was petting a tiger. I don't know where that's coming from. But, you know, but then that image just went turned back off. And I know that there was something associated to that, which was then I was saying that that's what to me was my acknowledgement that I was somewhere in between kind of like a dream state, but kind of not. And so as I was sharing it with her, she, you know, she was like, you know, chanting on her and like, yes, yes, yes. And so she was started to explain that, you know, that's the type of meditation that she kind of enjoys getting into because she seems to kind of like get lost in that where 
again, and it takes where you you're you're not going anywhere, but you're just seeing things, and it's almost like you know it can be whatever it is. Now, was that like this me petting a tiger or past life thing? I felt that it it is for whatever reason because it felt real, and there was no acknowledgement. I didn't look at tigers before or after, and why would I want to pet one? But it was pretty cool. I would encourage you know you know you guys to kind of start experimenting experimenting with that like just that like not having anything on um even you know again this 555 thing we just did you know at at this hour of day you may or may not go into kind of like that in between dream state because i mean stay light i mean i find it that you know of course you know i'm up at 5 30 in the morning so you know my my ego my body is still saying well chris let's go back to sleep and so i'm kind of still in between that state where my ego wants to go back to sleep, but I want, I don't, I want to meditate sitting up. I find it's very successful for me to be able to kind of get in between those states in that time of day. Uh, but it's, it's not to say that doing like what we just did, this 555 won't get you there, but it's just a, it's really a way to like woosah it out. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can woosah it out. We can go out, we can walk, go for a walk, we can get out of the space that we're in. But then we can also just do something as simple like that. And it doesn't have to be for five minutes. You know, you can just do it for three minutes. But the, but the thing is, is that you're calibrating because your, your, your mind is saying, your mind is counting one, two, three, which takes a logical and linear process. So now you're incorporating the ego and saying, okay, ego, I need you to count to three. And meanwhile, the ego is counting to three. It's busy doing that. And meanwhile, while it's busy doing that, you're allowed then to be in your space to relax right? You're allowed in your space to release all whatever tension, anger, because the ego is incapable of doing two or three things at the same time. That's why it thinks it can, which is why it tries to prove that it can by you doing it, you know? So the ego is to say, yeah, we can do seven things at the same time. Uh, multitask, right? Da -da -da -da, switch tasking. Da -da -da. And so the ego thinks it can do it. So it wants you to believe you can do it, which is why you do it to convince the ego, like, yeah, we can do it. And you realize that you can't. So you can only really focus on one thing at a time, right? So when you give the ego a job, which is what I always talk about, what the Course of Miracles talks about, is that give it purpose. So it's almost like if you, if you give a child no purpose at all, and you take the child into a now defunct Toys R Us, the child is gonna be running around, it's like Candyland, right? But when you give the ego a purpose, you give it a function, you give it a job, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, let me do this and let me do that, let me incorporate it, versus having the ego just run buck wild, right? Makes sense? I mean, the whole premise of what we do here, and I know that, you know, you guys have been like doing your work and stuff like that, is meditation, right? Meditation is, is the glue of everything. To me, I always say that it's, it, it's, you can come to 40 more things that we do here. Right, but if you're not meditating consistently, then what you're doing is basically you're just fulfilling the ego's will to to say, "Look at me, I'm I spiritually know more than you." You know, I mean, it's great that that you come, but also it's even more important that you're gluing it all together through meditation. Like, you know, again, the classes, the workshops, the the, the toolboxes from from yesterday, and you know, the Tao from you know this month or last month. So it's it's all these things that we do. That really, I mean, in our retreats and stuff, everything that we do is so you can take the meditation and you can kind of bring them together. Because, you know, because what I'm sharing with you and what AV shares with you is nothing more than more information, right? I mean, it, where is there enough information out there already? 
right? And so whenever we're doing classes and workshops, all we're doing is adding more to that chaotic information. However, through meditation, that chaotic information turns into valuable information, right? So everything is just coming at you. And I, and I use the word chaotic is because our senses can only calibrate so many inputs at once. Imagine if your inputs were like highly and super sensitive, right? And so intuitively, like empaths can feel. You, I, can, I can feel your pain. I can feel your back pain. But now imagine that sense being heightened by tenfold. Now imagine you being to hear, you know, tenfold. So that means you're hearing the buzzing as if somebody was yelling in your ear. Imagine, you know, feeling, uh, you know, ten times what you feel, which is the reason why all our senses are kind of subdued in a, in a way, because it would be too much of an overload. It would be way too much for us. And so information is, is that that is the same. So information that comes at us at such a, a high calibrated speed, meditation allows us then to slow down that, that information to be able to process it and create some new uh, neurons. You know, Joe Dispenza says, you know, wires, wires together, fires together. You know, so if we're wiring new neurons in our mind with the information we're getting, it will change our, our interior. You know, and the fact that, you know, and so me voicing it out loud and me saying, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with, I'm done with eating meat. I'm done with that. So just by me stating that, neurons are starting to wake up because now my neurons are starting to realize, okay, we need to start kind of bringing things together because now we're going to have to look at something different. And so now my body has to respond different. So there are all these shifts that are starting to go on inside of me just by putting it out there but also meditating and allowing that silent space to kind of bring things together. Uh, Sarah uh, shared with me, because I had wrote this on my application to me, and I've said this here before, that, you know, as simplifying my, my life, you know, I always say, you know, minimalism is, is creating space exterior, right? It's, it's just having the things that bring value, and it's just really the um, creating space externally, and for me, meditation is about creating space internally. Meditation is, is minimalism inside, right? It's creating space, creating space. And so when Sarah was telling me she went out, uh, <laughs> she went out to a lunch with her friends uh, just this week, and that's what she said. And I'm not saying she said it because she's seen it on the application. Perhaps not because at the time, I guess she, when I sent it in, she already had this lunch. And so she was with two other friends and said, What's, well, how do you see meditation is what she was asking her friends. And one of them said, it feels like water, you know, it's like water. And, and so I was like, okay, that's cool, water. And the other one said it was like fire and stuff like that. And so for her, for Sarah, she said it was space. And I, and I don't think she applies the same, you know, meaning as far as space that I do, you know, when it, when it, comes, when it comes to that. And I don't expect her to have the same meaning for me because, again, it's like more like simplifying my interior is what meditation has is, is allowed me to do, um, and, and it continues uh, to help me do. So again, I'm just saying this to kind of bring everything together, which is really what the course is about, and, and what we've been doing here is about making sure you bring it all together, because again, there's no reason why, you know, your consistency, you, you guys keep on coming and showing up, there would, we would consider that there's going to be improvement, right? That you're going to have more awareness, that you're going to be shifting your life, and that you're going to see you will see that, you know, I mean, you know, two weeks out or three weeks out, you'll see things changing and you'll continue to see things changing until it turns into a shift. So it turns into a transformation because my change will be the first three or four 
uh, weeks or whatever. And then after that change, it'll turn into a shift. Everything will appear different about me, you know, given 30 days from now being consistent on this quote unquote change until my neurons start collaborating and connecting with my body and in my output, my actions. And this is basically how it all is. And again, a miracle is just a shift in consciousness. That's all it is. A miracle is not no magic trick. We'll say, oh my God, it's a miracle. It's not. It's just a shift in consciousness. And so a miracle is, is available and, and for all of us at, at all given times. Right? Makes sense? Cool? So I go like on the deep end and I say, yeah, anything else you want to say? <laughs> anything you want to add? No, we did not. And so it's, it's almost like we teased it. It was like we were linguistically foreplaying with each other because we wanted to talk more about it, but we didn't. Because it was that, because interesting enough, and then we were quiet and we were like, hmm, yeah. Hmm. And I, and I think she did say the same thing you said. She didn't say transcendent, but she said the goal. But I don't think she used the word goal, but she said, well, I'm just going to use it for this example. But she did say, that's the goal of meditation, you know, basically what you just kind of said, but she didn't use the transcendence. She just, after that, we were quiet. That's when she said, that's the goal of meditation. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, so another thing is, have, ever, have any of you guys ever like done this? And it seems to happen quite often, which is weird how it works. But like time, meaning, I know you're talking about time, but like you say that, okay, I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes. And maybe you put a timer for 30 minutes and then you're meditating. And then you almost, you, you're coming out of it, you're on your own, and you're, okay, I'm, I'm out of it. And then you look at the timer, and there's like 29 minutes. Have you guys ever experienced that? That like you're coming out of it right before the timer goes off. Like you know intrinsically like the timing, which is so weird. Because I know some people can get up, like, you know, I'm going to get up at 5.30 with no alarm. I want to start practicing that. I don't know how to, you know, because you don't want to oversleep either. And then you, hey, I'm at work, and I'm, you know, two hours late. But I know people do that. Like they can get up and say, I'm going to get up at 530. I'm going to get up. And I'm going to, I'm going to try that. I'm going to have alarms back up. But I'm going to try that because, you know, so I've been sleeping, you know, you know, with my, and I said before, I've been sleeping with my Apple Watch because it has this little silent thing. But I, I, I never really liked the idea of having electronics strapped to me while I'm sleeping just because electrical stuff, you know, while I'm sleeping, I'd rather be in that state. Um, but I like the idea of having it silent, you know, so, you know, it doesn't buzz and stuff like that. So now, you know, I'm saying, well, no, I don't want to have that. But instead, what I want to do is kind of start, you know, meditating on the idea of, you know, getting up before the alarm goes off. Because if I can do it in meditation, why can I not do it while I'm asleep, especially if I'm out of the body and my out ofness can see the time and then kind of budge me and say, well, you know, say, hey, get up, dude. You know, before it goes off, which I'm gonna start kind of playing with and trying. Have you guys? Are you? Are you guys have, have ever done try that? You wake up at 5:55 every day, 
and your alarm is set for six, you just it just does. You just do it. Actually, I wish I could do that. <laughs> what time do you typically go to sleep at? What's your What's your sign? Cancer. It's the same as mine. Um, this is why you like. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, it's AVs like, yeah, AVs like that too. Right, right, yeah, yeah, AVs like that as well. Yeah, I can't take. I'm not a. I'm not a napper. I can't take naps. <laughs> You're out. So one of the things that I wanted to to actually to cover this week, as it pertains to the course, is something that I feel are very important. We've I've talked about this here sporadically here and there. But I want to talk about these four things, and we mentioned, hinted a little bit about it yesterday. One was imagination. This is something that I, that I, you know, and Av and I've talked about this a lot. It was something that I feel is really connected to our source, which is the four, you know, there's no good word for it. The four themes, or the four foundations, or the four pillars, or whatever you want to call it, when it pertains to the soul. And those, to, and those four things, you know, is. Uh, Creativity, curiosity, imagination, and love. Creativity, curiosity, imagination, and love. Oh, oh you guys gonna write it down, huh? You got your all. Oh, you got your pen and you got your notebook. Creativity, curiosity, imagination, <laughs> love. Yeah, you walk around with your toolbox everywhere you go. That's what I have in my bag. I carry my, my book bag a lot of places and I have my tools in there. My... These, no, these are mines. But, the, but so what I'm doing is as I went through the course, I've kind of like extracted to how I can take this that matches with this. And the reason, so the creativity, curiosity, imagination, and love. And I wanna, I'm going to touch on all four of them in a little bit. But the reason why to me those four are super, super important is because neither one of those four things do you have to be taught. All right? No one, has, no one needs to teach you creativity. No one needs to teach you curiosity. No one needs to teach you imagination. No one needs to teach you love. Now, it's not to say that someone can't expand on your creativity or expand on your imagination or expand on your idea of love. But no one, you come into this world with those four attributes, those four themes, those four foundations, those four pillars. And if you start really to recognize what happens is that between the ages of one to between the ages of one and ten up to twelve even, they take those away. So they take out curiosity, they take out creativity, they take out imagination, they even take out love. So by the time you're in your teenage years, all four of them are basically gone. And so then we spend the rest of our lives you know, saying that three of those things aren't important, creativity, curiosity, imagination. And then the last one we spend the, the, a lifetime is with love. And so I can always easily say this, like, uh, do any of us need help in, in love, right? Um, or, or do you love? And then a lot of times, well, yeah, I don't have no problems in, in love. You know, is what, you know, 90% of the people always say, I don't have any problems in love. But then, the, because the rea realistically, it's not, you know, our ego takes that question and says, well, no, I don't have no problems in loving. You know, I got a family, I got friends, I got, that's great. 
But you see, the, the, but the trick, so to speak, in this is not whether or not you love your family or your, or your kids or your parents. It's whether you love you, right? So a lot of us, when, you know, even when I say this question, it's like, well, um, do any of us need some adjustments in love? No one will raise their hand. I'm like, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Maybe my love life or something like that. But other than that, no, it's, everything is good. But what, again, what this question really is all about is do you love you because you did as a child but for whatever reason that's what we spend the majority of our lives looking for after the first three are you know are extracted from us so if anything uh speaking in that let's just i'm gonna go and there's no order of importance between one and four it really isn't but then let's take the idea of love and let's just start with that and then kind of work our way back into uh to creativity so the idea of love is is exactly that right is that we love ourselves i mean you can look at a child a child doesn't is the child is an embodiment of love everything a child takes in is taken in through the filter and sponge of love so if i'm seeing dad physically abuse mom i still take i'm taking that in as love i'm taking that in as love because that's all i see and so as i start getting older that's my idea of love so and I'm, you know, again, dad, mom, I'm looking at dad as a role model. That's love, you know, you know, beating, beating the, 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 the mom and the mom is there. So I, that's my identity of love. So now as I get older, that's what I, how I'm going to express love. So my love is going to be a little bit abusive because that's how I see it. And so I'm going to look for someone who's going to take that abuse, right? Because that's, again, how I see love, because that's a vibration of love, because that's how I see it. So our kids mimic what they see, because we are all teaching, you know, not only our kids, but, you know, nieces, nephews, and everything else, what love is. And they're intaking it as a sponge through their filter, and that's what they're going to go and do. Interestingly enough, you can look at other people and talk about, you know, if they're talking about their kids who are married, and then you can almost identify that the mom has the same pattern as the kids have right now in their in their marriage, right? So yes, you know, um, I was with a, a loser husband and got a divorce, you know, and I'm no longer with a loser husband. But now I see my daughter is in the same situation, and you would have thought that she would have, you know. And then so mom is trying to tell daughter, listen, I've been through that, but you know, why are you going through it? But the daughter doesn't know what really mom is saying because daughter seen mom's version of love. She didn't hear mom's version of love. She saw it, felt it, and now she's expressing the same thing. So love is super important. So the thing is, is that so when we go through the ages of, of, of you know, teenage years and up, you know, we take from loving us because to love yourself is being selfish and you're not going to be selfish, right? Um, so you take it off of you. And so you, and then we take it externally, right? So now I'm going to love you externally. So when we're in our teenage years, what we're doing now is we're looking for external love, right? And so sometimes when we can't find external love, we find external love in things, right? In things and stuff. And so I love this thing, you know, look at it like in the, uh, um, you know, uh, as Eckhart talks about it, you know, when you take a, a toy away from a kid, you know, give me my toy, you know, and then that, that identification of that toy becomes the child so the child sees himself or herself in that toy and when you take that toy away child starts crying starts reacting it doesn't know because that's an identification it's making so that's when the external love begins to happen as you start 
identifying yourself with exterior things. So then we say that my identity is in this other person. And so now we rely on that other person to provide something that we are not having. You know, we say that we, you know, we try to get with people that can kind of balance us, like what I don't have, this other person has, vice versa. But then what happens with that is that if we rely on that, then we become dependent on that. And if we become dependent on it, then we don't do anything for ourselves to shift in order to become that. So if AV's organized and I'm not organized, you know, for me to, to, to depend on her to help organize me, that means I'm always going to need her. But instead, if I learn from her organizational skills and I take that into me and that becomes part of my new shift, then, then I will no longer require her organizational skills for me. You know, and so, but at the same time, we're learning from each other, we're growing, and that's really what relationships are about. But what happens is we just kind of take a step back and we say, well, you give me this and I'll give you this and this and that. And then it becomes, as even Don Miguel talks about, it becomes like a relationship between, you know, like a, a, a drug user and, and, a, and a drug dealer, you know, because the, the, they need each other. You know, a dealer needs an addict, an addict needs a dealer. And this is what a lot of love relationships have become. They become relationships built on addictions of give me what I need and don't need. And then when you don't get it, then you get all frustrated and all mad because you need that quote unquote fix. And this is how we depend on it. And so when we love ourselves, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, when we love ourselves, it becomes a superpower. It becomes very, very powerful. Because what happens is that no longer what people say affect us. And it doesn't affect us because we love ourselves. And so if someone says, you know, Chris, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I can be like, okay, that's cool. Because I love myself, so I'm not going to beat my own self up. So if someone says, Chris, you don't love yourself, I'm not going to say, yeah, you're right. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, why would I want to kind of just say that about me? You know, oh, Chris, you're dumb. No, oh, okay. I'm not going to say, you know what, you're right, I am dumb. That does not make any sense for me. But what happens is when you love yourself, you're not going to attack yourself. This is really important. And this is what the ego tries to do. The ego, the ego's function is to attack yourself. Because if you can attack yourself, you're making the ego's job a lot more easier. If anything, what you're doing is you're priming the engine. When you attack yourself, you prime the engine and the ego can just go in and just hit the ignition and just turn it on real smooth and easy. Attacking yourself is what the ego's whole function is about. And it does that through the idea of separation. The fact that I think that I'm separate from you and I'm separate from you and separate and, and, and separate from all of you is the idea that the ego then puts the wedge between us. And when the wedge is between us, between the idea of separation and attack means now that I can attack you. And if I can attack you, that means I can attack myself. Because if we're whole, then there's no wedge, there's no room for attack to happen. And so the only way attack happens is to create the separation. Like if you're doing a sandwich of peanut butter and jelly and the, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich is already together, Right? If, it's, if the two breads are together, but you want to put them in the middle, you, you can't. Right? You need to kind of take one slice on one side and one slice on the other, and then you can apply peanut butter on one, jelly on the other. And so that's the same way that it happens. You need to separate the slices in order to put one peanut butter, one jelly. Right? And that's what the ego does. The ego decides, well, together, if I want to put it in the middle, I can't do it. 
So if I have the separation, then I can. And so as the moment I'm thinking I'm separated from you and you and you, that's the moment that attack happens within myself and then others. And so the way the ego does it, it says, well, let's attack others first and let's see how it feels. So we'll say something like, ah, this person is, is dumb. You know, so I'm attacking my brother. I'm attacking my sister. And, and so the more I do it, the more I feel justified in that I can do it. Until that one moment when uh, someone says something about me, now the ego says, well, let me try it on, on that. Let me try it on this system here. You know, and the biggest thing I always say this is the moment when I always ask this question, you know, are you perfect? And, the, and, and I say, you know, raise your hand if you're perfect. No one raises their hand. That's the ego. The ego has done its job. And everything else from there, like I said, is easy. If you don't believe you're perfect, everything else from there is easy. You've make it, you instead make the ego's job more challenging, more complicated. Don't make it easier. What a break. Love, love yourself more. You know, love yourself enough. Love yourself more to leave. It's, you know, especially in relationships. And it doesn't mean that you don't love the person you're with. It just means you love yourself more. That's, you know, because that's what the ego say, that when you want to separate from someone, you know, the ego will be like, oh, you know, but, but we spent all this time together and I love this person. And as soon as if someone tells me that I love this person, then I stop. I say, okay, stop. That's cool. I'm not telling you not to love this person anymore. All I'm saying is love yourself more. And so then the ego's like, oh, okay, I guess yeah, I don't have nothing to say with that, right? This is the last kind of example that I give with the idea of love. And I call it like the love bankruptcy, right? And if you consider how, you know, um, you know, debt, you know, we get into debt and all this other stuff and you consider it with love, right? And so we love ourselves. And basically that's like having your own internal, you know, wealth. You know, you love yourself, you love yourself. And, and then all of a sudden you find out that now you don't love yourself anymore. And now you're dependent on someone else. And that now when you become dependent on someone else, it's almost like now you're de dependent on, you know, using someone else's cash in order to buy this one thing, right? But then what happens is we get into what I call that, that love debt. And what that means is that we just, you know, we keep on borrowing from this, from this bank, right? We keep on borrowing from this bank. We keep on borrowing, borrowing, borrowing. And then eventually what happens, this becomes, you know, they don't want to give us anymore. And this is what happens when we don't love ourselves, meaning that I don't love myself, so I'm going to depend on you to give me love. So now I'm borrowing your love. I'm borrowing because I don't love myself. I'm borrowing, borrowing, borrowing. And then all of a sudden, now you don't want to give it to me no more, right? Like, yep, done. I'm like, oh, I got to get it from somewhere. Where am I going to get it from? So now I get it from friends, you know, but then I don't see the friends all the time because now I need to take their love, right, in order to give me love. And I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking. But then eventually, all these people are going to want you to pay it back, right? You have to pay back your debt. And so now this person's going to want their debt paid back. So now I got to try to give them love, but I don't have love. So now I got to get it more from you so I can give to them. And then I keep on going down this rabbit hole of, you know, where eventually I'm going to have to file like this love bankruptcy, right? Because I don't have any more. I don't. And, and, and how do I file this love bankruptcy is that, you know, I just basically go into this, into this shell, to this, to this space where I just, I, I, I don't want to be no one, nowhere, anywhere. I don't, I, you know, I just want to be in this space without no interference because we're bankrupt, right? And so, but then you're giving off that, that energetic vibe of, of this bankruptcy, right? And so not only that, but when you're bankrupt, you know, who's going to give you credit again? <laughs> no one, right? 
because so the thing is right and so the way you again the way to build back up your quote-unquote credit is to start loving yourself more and the first thing we can do to love ourselves more is by simply not attacking ourselves by simply saying it's okay you know um by just being you know and that's the biggest thing by not again by not attacking yourself will automatically boost your credit score up to about starting at 600 knowing that 840 is like excellent top tier something like that and so like that automatically starts you and then everything else just builds on top of that and that's kind of like the love bankruptcy which is again going back to like even what avi said is that you know life is all about that loving yourself more loving yourself more is superpower it really is i mean you re honestly you could be alone for the rest of your life if you love yourself because if you love yourself you come to realize you never are alone make sense so then let's go so we went to love let's talk about imagination now so we talked a little bit about imagination the importance of imagination but then what happens when we're growing up of course imagination is for kids so of course we're adults we're responsible so now we can't imagine anymore but truth is is that everything that you see is built through imagination everything that you see existed in someone's you know someone's fear and it became manifested so imagination is what creates manifestation imagination is the key foundation to manifest anything because manifest because to manifest you have to imagine you have it even though again like i said yesterday you don't right and the only way to the only way to to, to bring it to you is to imagine you're doing it already this is why imagination is such an important aspect of who we are again we had this as kids you know hey i'm talking to you know my guide but then we our parents would be like oh he has a wild imagination but yet as i as we were talking to our guides at a young age this is the key thing we were happy right so if you look at what it was the happiest times for some of us it might have been when we were exploring all these four things and so all i have to do is if i take those four things and i input it into my life now i mean there's a really really good chance that i'll encounter that happiness that i did as a child if i just start incorporating these four things back into my life so you know imagination is just it's again everything is created through imagination everything you see is imagination the truth is even in quantum physics they say that nothing is real and that everything exists because we are imagining it so i mean we can all agree that this is a platform we can all agree that this is a platform we can all make that agreement but I don't know what this platform looks like to you guys. And it might look completely different. I don't know that, you know, because our imagination is creating a different reality. And so how you, how you see things, again, comes through the idea of imagination. It's very important that whenever we're manifesting, again, that we see it and we become it. You know, as we said yesterday, you don't manifest the need, you manifest who you are. So if you imagine yourself to be who you are, what it is you're manifesting so if i am if i'm manifesting financial abundance and i imagine myself i am financial abundance i am you know a bill comes cool bill no problem boom it's paid done because why because I'm, I'm abundant and so when you begin to imagine that it begins to happen it, it, it just does because everything is created through that nothing is created through something other than imagination and the only difference is that it becomes manifest. We touch it, we feel it, we, 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 we become it. And again, so imagination is taken from us because it's a, a kid thing. 
you one of the things to do if you ever wanted to kind of explore imagination is you know you know, you know we talked a little bit about this i mean you bring you know reading books i mean reading books that are out of your realm and like reading books that are more like you know fantasy based or sci-fi based or something that's completely off the you know just allow and this is the great thing about books right because books is and i'm talking about you know books that are like like novel written not like you know not i love self-help books of course but self-help books don't take that much imagination right they're just kind of guiding you in this idea of you know healing and, and all these other things but now you take a book like you know it's just any book, a sci-fi book or whatever, where you have to create the world in here. That's building your imagination muscles because now you're creating the world you see fit, which is the reason why you read a book, you see the movie and you're disappointed, right? Because the movie wasn't what you imagined reading as a book, right? And we say, oh, the book was always better. The reason why is because you wrote the book in your head. So of course you booked that book in your head is going to be better because you imagined it. It's going to be better than what someone else did. That's why you always, it always, it's always like that. Because I wondered that and I explored it. And I was like, oh, that's why. So FYI, the movie will never be as good as the book. <laughs> Imagination is just this really, again, I mean, it's one of, it's one of those things as even in the, the, way that it, it, the way that it talks about it though in the course, it doesn't use the way imagination is the way I'm explaining it here. But they also use it that imagination can be which is and this is good to know is that it can be kind of like it can be another part of an illusion right and so what that means is that the way that they use uh that that word in the course is illusions and so it's knowing the difference between imagination and an illusion and again the illusion is separation you know imagination is is the wholeness so the fact is, is that but both of them exist in this formless realm. So what the ego then tried to do was it tried to create its form of imagination. The ego's form of imagination is illusion. The soul's version of imagination is imagination, obviously. So the soul imagines, the ego creates illusions. Ego, illusions, soul, imagination. And the illusion can be, I'm not perfect. Imagination is, I am perfect. Doesn't care what anyone else says, you know? And, I'm, and, I, and I can say that I'm perfect with no ego because, again, ego is an illusion. It only, you, when you say you're perfect and you're saying it with ego, it's because it's an illusion. It's because you don't believe it. So that's when we say, or if I say, well, I'm saying that I'm perfect, but I'm not, I don't mean it in an egoic way. It's because in egoic way, it's an illusion. I don't believe it. So I'm just saying it so you guys, so I can make you believe that I am perfect. Because in this moment, it really doesn't matter to me whether or not you guys believe I'm perfect or not. It, it doesn't make a hoot for me. But that I know it inside because I've imagined it inside. Again, imagination creates that reality. This is why we imagine it. We imagine that we are enough. We imagine that what we're doing in this moment is exactly what we're meant to do in this moment and whatever happens in the next moment is another imagination that will occur when we get to that moment yeah it's it, it don't and don't and, and but yes and so we'll just say imagination creates reality that's it right imagination creates reality and you choose how you see that 
whether you see it as an illusion or you see it as your truth. Because then to use the word positive or negative is giving it is is giving it an egoic, uh, or, you know, I'm better or, or or it's better or this is worse or this is worse. A moment or experience is just an experience, right? So like this platform is just a platform. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is. And it's until we we give we interpret it, we ask the ego what you think, and then it depends on which one we vo which opinion we voice out, whether from the soul or from the ego. The next one I want to talk about is. Uh, We've got about 10 more minutes here. The next one we want to talk about is uh, curiosity. Now, curiosity is really what I love as, and we, as a child, right? I mean, we don't have to like, we know that all children are curious. But this is what I find fascinating is how we were taken out of that curiosity. And it all started with why. The question why, 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 why. And so as children... Imagine you're a, a, a star before coming into this realm. And you come into this realm, you was a star, you was infinite, you can do all these things and now you can't, you know? Um, you even need help to use the bathroom. That's weird. But as a star, you didn't need any of that. You just left the astral trails behind. Uh, <laughs> so we ask why, because we don't know. You know, um, hey, do this, why? Hey, eat that, why? Hey, dress like this, why? 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 We kept on asking that, right? And so what happens is we asked this so many times, eventually, that whoever we were asking would get kind of tired of it. That, uh, that's because I said so. That's why, right? That's the default thing when we start getting frustrated. Again, as kids, we see nothing but love. And so when we see frustration because we can feel it, we don't want no one to feel frustrated because we love them. So we then say, oh, oh I don't want to make you mad, so I'm not going to ask you why no more. Right. And so then imagine that day after day, year after year, you know, every time we ask why they would get frustrated, they would say, well, that's why, because I said so, or because that that's just the way it is. And so we stopped asking that. We stopped asking why, 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 why. And so now that's how curiosity is fed. Curiosity is fed through the why. Curiosity is fed is how we find who we are through the why. And so once we begin to like nuts or stop asking that question, we stop being curious. Curiosity leads to exploration. Exploration leads to discovery. Discovery leads to this magnificence of the potential of who we are. And so again, curiosity is really important in any type of exploration, especially spiritual awareness, because you have to be curious in order to go on to the other side. Even, even if we're meditating, I sometimes will ask myself during a meditation, show me something I don't know. Show me something I've forgotten. Show me something I don't remember. I'm willing to explore. And then just go into that meditation and see what happens and see what comes up. You know, one of the things that we talked about yesterday is, you know, going into meditation with like a question or coming out of it and just answering it. So I would typically sometimes, you know, I'll just have my, I'll have my phone like there or whatever. And then I just do a meditation. And then after it, I'll just throw up a crazy question. Like, what's the meaning of words? And then I'll just start kind of typing just sporadically, just what comes out. And so I come to discover things about that I didn't know about. And sometimes I even discover that what I was saying wasn't, wasn't fully present. Like I would only giving 25% of something I believed in, thinking I was giving out 100 and then through this curiosity and exploration, I learned that, man, I was only giving a little tiny bit. 
You know, actually, it's a lot more than that. You know, again, curiosity is the why. It's the exploration. It's the discovery. It's, the, it's, it's our own awareness. The way that we become more spiritually aware is to be curious, is to ask good questions, because good questions always lead to the quest. And that's, again, something I love that Sarah said during the meditation, um, not the meditation, but through our podcast, you know, when she said that, you know, questions are important. And I always said this, questions are more important than answers, right? Because an answer is given. A question really takes you on that exploration. And you know, again, I said this, you know when a question is good, that when the answer embraces you, you forgot what you asked. That's when you know you have a really good question. And that's when you really start opening up, is when you forget the question you ask, but you feel the answer embrace you. Something embraces you and you feel like, yes, now what was that question I had? And like you totally forgot the question. Curiosity typically is what even it says this in, in, in the course. I mean, through forgiveness, which is what it talks about, through forgiveness, we open up a whole world of curiosity. Forgiveness or, or not forgiving blocks us from exploration. Because we're so focused on not forgiving that we're just looking down. We're just looking down. We're looking down. We're looking down. And we're not forgiving, so we're not open to exploration because we're so focused on the fact of, of being you know, attacked or insulted or done wrong that we have no will to want to explore. Like if you don't want to go outside, you're not going to go outside, right? And so what happens is when we don't forgive, that's us saying we don't want to go outside. But yet we keep on looking down and we keep on asking questions, but what's outside? What's outside? What's outside? And I can tell you what's outside, but it's not until you go out there and experience what's outside that you'll know what's outside, which is the reason why forgiveness is so important. Because again, forgiveness opens up the whole world of exploration. Because when we can forgive, we're free. And it takes freedom to explore the world. Because, you know, that's really what it's all about. And until we can explore the world until we can forgive we're chained and it's very hard to explore the world when we got all these chains attached to us you know it only let us go so far and the one that's holding on to those chains and locking them down again is the ego the ego doesn't want you to forgive because the ego doesn't want to explore the ego wants to be in this nice little comfy place in control and telling you what to do how to do why to do instead of being and that's what it is the soul has to be free. No questions about it. You cannot contain the soul. Don't make the ego's job any easier than itself containing the soul. The last of it is creativity. I always said this before and I'll say it again. Everyone is creative. All you have to do for creativity to, to be a thing is, is your ability to listen. That's it. Creativity is one's ability to listen. And so the question is, can you listen? And you can listen when you, again, as I said in the beginning, going into the silent meditation. As you go into a meditation in the morning, guess what? We can call it you're going into a meditation in the morning, or I can say you're going into creativity in the morning, which is basically saying you're going into listening in the morning, You know, which is saying that you're creating space in the morning to be creative, to listen. So what happens is you know, we say we're not creative because the ego said creativity is artistic. And if you, if you can't draw, most people say, well, I can only do stick figures. I'm not creative. Well, guess what? The a fact that you can do a stick figure, that you can listen to do a stick figure, means that you're creative. 
that's so creativity is the ability to listen art is the output of creativity art is the output of creativity so creativity is not an artistic thing it's not a talent it's not a special gene that someone has and someone else doesn't creativity is just basically it's the output of one's ability to listen that's all it is and so what it is is that as i'm as, as i'm here and i'm meditating and i'm listening to hey chris maybe you want to you know draw this thing and i'm like okay well, i like that so basically all we're doing is is, is the transmission of information and how I want to output that information is what creativity is within what art turns out to be, whether it's cooking, whether it's drawing, whether it's writing, whether it's being in the garden. And so we take creativity and we put it in this little box. The only people who are creative are artistic people. We say, man, that's real creative what you did. And they'll just say, yes, yes. But basically all they can say is that, oh, I just listen. You know, you can ask any musician, like, how do you play these tunes? And they'll just say, I don't know, I just listened. Or I don't know, I was painting and I just painted this thing and this came out. Or I don't know, I wrote this thing, I don't even know what I wrote. Again, that's creativity. It's one's ability to listen. So of course, we lost the ability to listen as a child because we are very creative, right? <laughs> as children, we were hearing Source say, hey, look at that giant wall. That's a big canvas. Let's get some crayons and use the canvas, right? But as parents, we said, no, no, no. Don't, don't, little Johnny, don't, don't paint on the wall. And so again, well, I can't, okay, maybe what I was listening to was the wrong information, right? Maybe what I'm listening, maybe I was directed wrong. We hear no, no, no enough. Again, we want to please people. We, we love them. And we hear no, no, no enough. Then we start being, um, I can do that. I can do this. We start limiting our creativity. We start limiting what we're hearing because what we're hearing might be wrong because what we hear and what we output may not be what other people want to see, which is the reason why when it comes to creativity, we don't like sharing it because we're afraid to hear no. Because, you know, we heard no so many times that we don't want Source to be like, well, why does Source keep on telling me to do these things and I'm doing it and I keep on hearing the word no? Because we take the word no as kind of like a negative attack on us which is the reason why we don't say no, right? This is the reason why we say yes. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll go to that party, which I don't want to go to. Yes, I'll go out, you know, to this bourgeois type of dinner with wine, which I don't drink. Yes, 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 because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to say no, no, no. But no is actually can be a very high frequency, frequency word. We say no, that means we're saying yes to something else. We say no means that we're giving ourselves permission to create space. So it's not about saying yes. It is about saying no to give ourselves space, right? And so the idea of the, uh, the idea of no and curiosity and creativity and imagination and love takes a whole different turn, and it's not what we've been uh, led to believe. So this is what I wrote for the end. Creativity is God speaking. Are you listening? Curiosity is God calling. Will you go? Imagination is God creating. Will you explore? Love is God. God is love. You are love. You are God. That's it.